Welcome to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, your guide to good food, good health, and a good life. And now, here's your host, Nutrition Network Advisor and author of the Nourishment Mindset, Dixie Huey. Happy Transformation Tuesday, y'all. Welcome to or back to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast. Here we are on a metabolic mission to achieve vitality and reverse chronic lifestyle conditions using straight talk, sound healing practices, and the number one most important thing that you can do for yourself, real, whole, nutrient-rich foods. Today we have a guest, Kurt Mercandante. He is certainly someone who practices sound healing practices, and we're going to get into those. He's got some from around the world, and I'm very interested to learn about them. He is also the author of The Five Pillars of the Freedom Lifestyle. Like my family, Kurt and his family, including four kids, left South Carolina to travel for, I believe, a year, and were probably, like us, called crazy by many people. But I am looking forward to hearing the good, bad, and the ugly on that. But also, more importantly, learning about what is this idea of the freedom lifestyle and how can those of us who are interested in achieving something like that embrace his five pillars to learn more. So we will be introducing Kurt here in a moment. Before I do that, I owe some of y'all sign books. I have some reviews on Apple. You can also review on Spotify or Google Play. And if you do that, I will send you a complimentary signed copy of my book. I'll be doing that through the whole first quarter. So I've already sent Amy her signed copy, and I have four others to recognize. You are Sandy of CA, Bullwinkle713. Y'all, these are who they go by on Apple Podcasts. Abe Lever, and then RMMLD03, who wrote, Love the Honesty, five stars. I'm new to this podcast, but not to the NSNG which is No Sugar, No Grain, courtesy of Vinnie Tortorich, who was on the show. LCHF, y'all, that's low carb, high fat, or carnivore. I believe the message needs to get out to as many people as possible. Dixie is doing a great job doing just that with an honest approach to health. So Mr. or Mrs. RMMLD03 and the rest of the folks that I mentioned, and anyone who has given a review on one of the podcast platforms, be it Apple, Spotify, or Google Play, please contact me so I can get your shipping address, your real name, and get you that signed copy. Best way to do that is however you like to do. If you go to my website, Favor Fat, F-A-V-O-R, Fat, yes, F-A-T, favorfat.com. You will see all the ways to connect with me. So I do hope that I will hear from y'all because I owe you something. So on that note of the signed book, you can get the signed book on favorfat.com. Or if you're an Amazon gal or guy, you can go on there, grab the copy 
and or the ebook version, the Kindle version. And if you leave a review on Amazon after a purchase, you will be entered into a monthly drawing for a complimentary health coaching session. And that doesn't have to be nutrition, be any aspect of health. I do everything from teach yoga and breath work to strength training to more of those sound healing practices like grounding, et cetera, you name it. We can talk about all kinds of stuff or you can gift it to someone if you're in perfect health. So please, please, two ways to support this show. Reviews on the podcast platforms, that gets you the free signed copy or a review on Amazon, which gets you entered in for the drawing to win a complimentary consult. So you can find me, Instagram, Nourishment Mindset, LinkedIn, just Dixie Huey, or of course on favorfat.com. So let's get into our interview with Kurt Mercandante. Welcome to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, Kurt. How are you doing today? I am doing great, Dixie. Thanks so much for having me on. I love the hat. He's wearing his brand. This only like a, a marketer would, you know, make sure to have the brand atop the head for the Zoom. Well, it's funny because it looks like my son's name is Dominic and we call him Dom. And Ooh. so he want, he has one of these hats because it says free Dom. And, and yeah, that's <laughs> an internal joke in our family. I love it. Please let me out of this spa retreat where I live in Sedona. Yes. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Have you always lived in beautiful Sedona? How did you get there? If not. Yeah. So we we've lived here almost. It'll be two years in like May, I believe, May or June. Um, and in 2020, my wife and I are originally from Illinois, uh, suburbs out to the rural area. We had lived in a number of different places, Washington, D.C., moved back to Illinois. About 10 years ago, we moved to Charleston, South Carolina, where we lived for, I don't know, eight years, seven, eight years. And to be quite honest, um, we felt over a couple of years, Charleston was changing a bit. Um, you know, it, it was, it was, uh, New York South. And, and so a lot of, Hey, my whole family's from New York. You know, I was born in New York city, but, um, they started to bring other things with them. Uh, I mean, this redneck named Dixie, like, yeah. Oof. I mean, I'm married to a Yankee. Okay. I don't really believe in all this back and forth, but like, it can be a little discombobulating when all of the North descends upon your town. Yes. You know, we moved to Charleston because it was this old South genteel place. And then it, it started changing over eight years. And then 2020 happened. Um, and we had moved to Charleston from Illinois for a sense of freedom. I mean, freedom meaning external things. And in 2020, they reacted like an Illinois city would react. And um, not only with what was going on with different mandates and things like that, but also over that summer, they people came in and tried to burn down the city when they were doing that in other cities. We said in Charleston. And for anyone who's ever been to Charleston, Charleston's small. So like if they're burning down the city and you live near the city, it's like in your neighborhood. And so the mayor didn't seem to care. Uh, supposedly he gave stand down orders. And I, I said to my wife, I said, that's it. And she said, yeah, we're out of here. So we sold, we had a 4,000 square foot home right on the water. 
And we have four kids. Our oldest is 16. Our youngest is eight. Middle are almost 12 and 15. And we picked up, we sold our house. We sold in quotes, kind of donated Facebook marketplace, just about everything we own, everything that didn't fit into a five foot storage container or our minivan and my mini Cooper, which is like nothing. And we just started traveling. And we were in the mountains of North Georgia for a while. We were at the beaches. We went through Mississippi, uh, Galveston, Austin, Taos, New Mexico, through the deserts. And we were, we, our plan was actually to do a big, great circle around the country. We, we came through Sedona. We were going to go up through Utah, the, you know, Montana. We were going to go through Montana, all this, and come back and settle in Florida. Because really? at the time, and still, yeah. we're like, you know what? Florida ain't closing Florida, you know, well, we pulled into Sedona and we're like, well, this is pretty cool. So this was May of 2021 and we decided to, Hey, we're going to, we're going to travel some more. So we, we did another 10 States. And if, if we miss Sedona, then we'll come back. So we came back for another five months and then we said, you know what, we're going to stay. So we got the house we're currently in now re-upped it for another year. So we're in it to the, through the end of this year and really have just, made it our home. Um, my wife, uh, we homeschool our four kids. So she started a homeschool. Now there's like 50 homeschool families in the group. Wow. Um, we've gotten involved with some little local politics, you know, uh, um, there's hiking. I'm looking right here at, at, at Thunder Mountain, which is the big, I look at right out the window. So I went for a hike this morning before we even talk. So it's a, it's a pretty cool place and, and a little bit of a bubble up here from, from other things going on um, in the world. So it's pretty cool. Oh, I love it. We had a plan to move to Florida. We had a similar experience, sell everything. I don't know if you had this, but a lot of, you're crazy. Have you lost your mind? What are you doing? (laughs) And we did end up in Florida, but we didn't um, get here in a way that made any sense at all. And we had no idea where we were coming. So we just waited a little bit like you until a place spoke to us. So did you get that from family, colleagues, what have you? What are you doing? Have you lost your mind? We got that, but we were used to it from a year of living differently or a year, a lifetime of living differently. I mean, you know, our daughter is almost 17. So we started homeschooling. I mean, she was born in 2006 and we decided then we were going to do it. So we're weirdos because we homeschool. You're damaging your kids, all this stuff. And the funny thing is that I have no problem with the way anyone wants to school and live their lives. But it's funny that a lot of people who are most critical of us homeschooling have kids who they don't homeschool who have massive problems, you know, and, and a lot of people will say, and, and, and this word I key in on, because I think it's key to what we're talking about here, whether it's health, whether it's moving your family, whether it's whatever. And they're like, well, what about the, and and there's a number one thing, the socialization, And that word socialization is such a prison for people because when I hear socialization, I hear conformity, right? I hear you're crazy. Why are you moving? And a lot of that isn't about, it wasn't about you and your family. It's not about me and my family. It's about them and limiting beliefs or trauma that they have in their lives. And they're saying, what about the socialization? Meanwhile, Okay, are you talking about the suicide rate, the alcohol use, the drug use in 
non-homeschool kids? Or what do you what do you mean by socialization? And what they mean is a lot of them never went to prom. And their first question is, well, what about the prom? It's like, well, you didn't go to prom and you've been miserable for it for 30 years. So a lot of people try to, when when they say, um, you know, I want paleo carnivore and they, they make fun, like for 14 years would make fun of it. It's about them. It's not about me. It's about them wishing that they had certain habits in their life that were different. And so they don't know how to, it's like the little kid who wants to get the attention of a girl. And so he trips her and you're like, why did you do that? And it's just like lashing out because of something internally that makes no sense. And they don't even know they're doing it. So whether it's, why are you moving around? People don't do that. Right. I love that one. You know, uh, quitting, you know, I, I shut down a seven figure agency five years ago. People don't do that. Well, I just did. Um, why are you homeschooling? That's dangerous to the kids. Okay. We're doing it. And, and, and so there are so many people in this world who don't live the life they want because they're living up to that quote unquote socialization. And I think if there's anything, Oh, it's, it's over the last three years. You don't, you're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. The scientist said you have to do that. Or so-and-so says you have to do that. I'm like, okay, then go do it. I'm not going to do it. Right. And they think somebody uh, has to, to me, I immediately, that's just my, you know, that's why I have a rebel tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) Have to. All right. You've lost me. (laughs) Yeah. It's, but I think, you know, I think the biggest, I think the biggest, um, at least for me, however anyone else wants to live their life is up to them is freedom. I have learned there's different levels of freedom, but I think the most powerful foundational definition of freedom has to do with internal freedom. And there are people who say they're free, but are really prisoners because they get so triggered by other people. So they can say they're freedom fighters, but they see someone wearing a mask and they get so upset. It ruins their day. Right. And it's like, that's what, that's what they, they want to do. And until people are ready, there's a lot of, I I think that there's a lot of people in life who feel that they have this information and it's the best information. And if everyone just lived their life like me, I'm not even talking about the people who say you're crazy for, for moving around. I'm talking about the people who say they're for freedom, but they're like, my way is the best way. And so I'm going to convince and convert everyone. Right. And true freedom would be allowing others to decide what's best for them. Yeah. Yeah. And and then and I'll, it, I I say this in sales and I say this in branding but I also say it in living a free life. Because a lot of people are, oh well, you know, my job is to convince and convert and proselytize and evangelize. I said, "Okay. You know, Jesus did none of that. What are you talking about?" I say, "Jesus, if you actually read the gospel, which I went to Catholic school, I've read the gospel five times." And a lot of people try to quote it to me and it's like, "Yeah." It's like, okay, he would go up to someone and he'd say, yeah, you can follow me, but you're going to have to give up your family. You're probably going to be hated by people. You're going to give up everything you own. You're going to live in the desert. Sound good to you? But people today want to get in someone's face and say, I need to baptize you into my freedom. And if someone's not ready for the information, then you're just going to make an enemy. So I think the best way to do it, and I think this is happening now, people in our family who they see us living a happy life. 
We're not dead after the last three years. We didn't just die suddenly, right? And they're like, huh, interesting. That's real interesting. Now, some of them want to come along and some of them reach out and say, hey, can you tell me how to have some of that? And then others just, just, uh, my brother, I was home a couple weeks ago. My brother said to me, said, I got to tell you, for several years, we all thought you were crazy with your conspiracy theories. He's like, a lot of them seem to have come true. And I said, well, John, you know the difference between a conspiracy theory and the truth, don't you? And he said, what? I said, well, it's down to about two weeks. And he starts (laughs) laughing. He's like, yeah, I kind of see that. So you just, you let things happen and the truth reveals itself without having to shove it down someone else's throat. Right. When the truth is ready to reveal, right? Yes. And we could be wrong too. I could be totally wrong. That's the other thing. I'm always willing to be completely wrong. You know? (laughs) That's how we learn. So tell us about, you know, as a new author, I I love and I've read most of your book. Um, Tell us about your book and how that translates to what you do for your Freedom Rising clients. What, What are you specifically helping people with and who are you helping? Yeah. So, um, you know, five years ago, I had a seven figure PR and ad agency and I woke up one Tuesday morning and I fired all my clients. I was done. People say, well, why didn't you get it ready to sell? Well, if I hadn't been in denial for eight years, I probably would have spent several years doing that. But people who've been there know when you're done, you're done. That's it. And so I started coaching. I wanted to help people. And so I started coaching and it's, it's changed over five years. Um, it's changed as my journey has opened up over the last, especially three or four years. Um, and you know, in my book, which is now 2019, three years old right now, what's, what year is it? Four right. years old. Oh my gosh. It's four Actually years old. Actually in 2023, but just recently. Yes. Yes. It, um, you know, my book was really about deciding what you want to do, planting the flag for the outcome you want, which is how you live your life realizing that that term work-life balance is an insidious bit of programming that keeps people in a separation consciousness that there's work over here and life over here. It's all just life, but there's three slices. If you picture a pizza pie, there's three slices of it. There's Yeah, there's work and career, but there's relationships and there's self-care. And so you've got to live an aligned life and align those three slices in a way that works for you. And it's going to change. Right. In a year where like you have babies, well, the self or the, the family gets a little bit bigger. So I've also worked with what's that? Self-care tends to and that goes right. Watch. But but you know that it's it's interesting because I've I've met parents who um and I've I you know I, I work mostly with men now, but I, I've had women clients, some of whom need to reduce the size of their family slice because they're not putting anything into self. And they think if they go and read a book or go have coffee with friends that they're somehow letting their family down. And meanwhile, their family's like, mom, please go do it. Like we, you know, we don't want you to die. Like we want, you know, so you align it. So the book is about defining, you know, planting the flag for the type of life you want to live and then reverse engineering it so that you live a fully aligned life. Um, you become outcomes focused, which isn't results focused, but it's outcomes focused. So you're not 
you're not just filling your day with stuff that to do because you read it in a book or it's way it's always been done. You set the big, hairy, audacious goal, but then you forget about it. And you forget about it because you've reverse engineered. So if I want to run a marathon and I want to run a marathon in 10 weeks from today, if I wake up every day and I think of 26.2, 26.2, it's, it, it's too much for me to bear and I may just quit. But if I wake up tomorrow and I know all I got to do is do a run walk of a half mile and that's all I focus on. Then it makes it much easier. In the in the Tao Te Ching, uh, Lao Tzu, it's twenty five hundred years old. I read it every day. It's the, it's it's an incredible source of wisdom. He says the great tasks are accomplished through the small tasks, and that sages never accomplish great tasks their entire life. Meaning, they just break everything down into small bites, and so they're in that state of flow. We want to eat the whole elephant instead of taking bites at it. So you reverse engineer it. And that's what my book is about. I, I I think someone asked me recently, what's one thing you would change about your book? And the number one thing I would change about my book, and this says a lot about the journey over the last four years, five years, is I use the word fight a lot in the book. Fight for freedom, fight for it. And I would replace that with allow. Mm. And that goes back to what we discussed earlier about trying to convince and convert. There is a time when you might have to fight, but if you're in fight or flight all the time, you're, you're, you're killing yourself fast or slow. And so, you know, I like allowing, and then, you know, I, I always say like, let the world turn the way it turns, um, until someone shows up at your doorstep and then be ready to be vicious. And that's the Taoists were that way. They weren't pacifists, but they were peaceful. And they would meditate for five, six hours a day. But if someone showed up on that mountain cliff, 10 people were there to, to take that Taoist and their family, that Taoist would take them all out with their pinky. You know, and so, but a lot of us are fight, 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 flight, or freeze all the time. Cortisol is going through our brains, and that's why people are dropping dead, literally. And... um so I would replace it with allow and that the final chapter is flow. There's five pillars in my book, right? There's vision, which is planting that flag. There's alignment, which we talked about. There's reverse engineering it all for outcomes. And then the last pillar is flow. And really to me over the last four years, that has become the most important piece because so many people want to hustle and grind and strive and struggle their way through life. And it's like, Bruce Lee said it, be like water. When the when the boulders fall in front of you and you're a mountain stream, instead of go, thinking you got to go up to them and start punching them and headbutting them, just flow around them, through them, over them, and just keep going. So, Oh, I love that. And I have been there in that state of fight, fight, fight as a entrepreneur. You know, people think of the culinary and Luke's wine industry as all fun and games, but it's like any industry. In fact, it's crazy competitive given the over 100,000 brands out there. And I um, at one point allowed that business to basically swallow me. And I I remember being um, with Patrick. We lived in Portland at the time and it was Christmas time. We were going downtown and I looked in this sort of window, this shopping plaza. And I just went, who is that person? Like you have no color, literally, you have no interests. All you do is work. 
And it's this grind, you know, and so that's why I say it ate me alive. So I had to really reorient the way I thought about what you mentioned, you know, what is work-life balance? I totally agree. You know, it's BS essentially, (laughs) but how am I going to spend my time? Because right now I'm not happy. I'm very successful. I'm holding up quotes for those of you not watching on YouTube, but I'm miserable. So do your clients, are they... I'm sure you see all kinds of states, you know, you talked about the mom that's guilty for going for coffee, but what do you see as like either typical limiting factors or is there one thing that you tend to really focus on with the people that hire you to be freedom lifestyle? Yeah. So these days, and you mentioned the word limiting, what I've learned over the last four years is that we all want to focus or we're told to focus by the gurus, right? On our uh, thoughts and our actions. And that they call mindset. And so we listen to that and we're like, well, just have positive thoughts, have positive thoughts, take action, take action, positive thoughts and action. And so you get in this swirling vortex of thought, action, thought, action, thought, action. The problem with that is, is that the foundation, all that is like trying to fix a cracked foundation in your home by painting the shutters. <laughs> Your thoughts are fueled by your beliefs. The beliefs are the foundation of the home. And your beliefs fuel your thoughts. It can be, there's there's a small gap between you having a thought and expressing an emotion. A lot of people think it comes before the thought, that the emotions drive the thought. No, it's your beliefs drive your thoughts. The thoughts you're having right now are because of certain beliefs that you hold, a lot of which are down in the basement of your subconscious. You don't even know they're there. You're seven years old and you're watching Star Wars and you're watching Luke and Leia. And in the other room, your parents are having an argument about money. And your dad says something like, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Your conscious mind is focused on Star Wars. So you don't even know this is happening. But here's the thing about your subconscious. It's like Alexa, right? Or or the phone, right? So I have my phone here. And we all have this, and I used to be in advertising, and they they used to not admit it, now they do admit it, where you have a discussion about a product, and all of a sudden you start getting ads for that product. Mm -hmm. Or Alexa is sucking down everything you're saying in your home and talking, right? That's your subconscious. Your subconscious sucked down things in your peripheral vision and also your peripheral hearing, the stereo surround sound. So you didn't even consciously know that your dad said that and it sucked it down. You have. So you're 47 years old and all of a sudden you have this limiting belief about money and you keep self-sabotaging no matter how good your career is going, whatever. And by the way, this can apply to relationships, health, work, career, any of it. Man, every relationship I have, it's going great. And then all of a sudden, self-sabotages. That could be, that's light. Well, it's not, it is because of a limiting belief. Where that came from could come from a life event in your 30s, your 20s, your 10s, whatever we want to call it. Or your parents said something when you were four or five. So we download these and we have them and we carry them around and no one wants to go below deck to find out if the ship actually has a leak. So we focus on our thoughts and actions. And what is that? What happens when we do that? We get up every morning and we're like, I'm positive. And we get up and we go out on the deck and we rearrange the deck chairs. 
So I'm taking action and I'm positive and I got blood and sweat and tears and I feel really good. And every morning you keep doing it and you're like, I feel like we're sinking. But yeah. no, 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 I'm positive. So you do positive thoughts and you rearrange the deck chairs. And then one day you find yourself, you wake up and you're underwater. You never went below deck. And people, I would say everyone has this. But I've been looking at a lot of studies of depression and anxiety. Rates of depression and anxiety are much higher amongst women. But women are also more likely to go get help. Mm. Not all women, but just statistically. Men, the depression rates of depression and anxiety are lower, but because of stigma and you got to be like John Wayne, they don't get help. And because of that, 70%, now this was before COVID, 70% of suicides in America, 70% were white men, 45 to 54. And I don't say that because everyone should feel bad about white men, but I share that in speeches and people are shocked. We hear about celebrities. We hear about kids. We hear, right? There's a stigma and it goes back to guilt. Well, I have money and I have the white picket fence and I have the car and I have the house in the suburbs, but I'm not happy. What do I have to feel guilty about? And you go and you look at the limiting beliefs. I work with a lot of folks who are very religious And because of it, they've been programmed to feel guilty about having money and then double guilty if they have money and they're not happy, (laughs) right? So it's like a double whammy. Now I feel bad and and they've been programmed with limiting beliefs and eat everything on your plate because don't you know there are starving kids in Africa? You know, your, your parents say that. And so you grow up with this weird sense of false gratitude, which is I should just be happy feeling like crap all the time and being unhappy because they're starving kids in Africa. And then we, and now in our culture, now we talk about privilege and we talk about this and that. It's like, I got news for anyone on social media lecturing anyone else about privilege. You're commenting on social media on a thousand dollar phone or a laptop. You're privileged too. The dirt poor in America are more privileged than 99% of the world. So there's different levels of everything and anxiety is anxiety. And we make people feel bad because of a certain class, a certain whatever that, well, you have anxiety and what do you know about suffering? And so all of this builds into this anxiety and this stress and this guilt where we have the privileged who are killing themselves at an alarming rate. And then we say, well, just have more positive thoughts and take action. Which is exhausting just to hear. Yes. <laughs> and so we go, so so a lot of my work now when, with coaching clients is going below deck. Some of them don't want to do it. Some of the stuff we do, I would have thought was crazy three years ago, right? I'm teaching men to use pendulums so that their subconscious can muscle test. They can muscle test their subconscious so their subconscious can tell them, is this right or wrong? Should I take this job or is it my ego? Mm-hmm. You know, what are we doing with this? And they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And to calm down, to really, and you don't just calm someone by saying, just calm down, right? Then, then they get, they want to fight you. You do it. We all want an external, we all want to read a book. Hey, listen, I've hosted podcasts. I have over a thousand podcast episodes. I've written books. You've written books. But people all want to look externally for everything. 
And the answer is actually inside you. Your subconscious is the best personal assistant you can ever have. It will never lie to you. And by the way, if you really want to get into it, your subconscious, there's your conscious, which is 5% of your cognition. That's the tip of the iceberg that we see above the water. 95% is below the water. It's your subconscious. This is your Google that's been, and your Alexa that's been sucking everything down in life forever. You, your subconscious can predict the weather, by the way, better than any app or weather person. Why? You have, I, I'm 48 years old. I have 48 years of my subconscious intuitively picking up on barometric pressure, looking at the clouds in the sky, right? It, it's, it's an amazing supercomputer. Your subconscious opens the door, though, to the higher conscious. Some people call that the quantum. Some people call it Holy Spirit, whatever it is. And so people will go to church and they fast on Fridays and they listen to the rules and the regulations and they say, why am I not enlightened? Because they're living in the conscious prison without ever opening the door through their subconscious to their higher conscious. And, and to me, we, we, there's a lot of physical things we can do for our health that are vital. But that's not only important for your physical health but it can help you get in a state where you have deep relaxation so that you can tap into your subconscious and you're able to open that door to the higher and the quantum and different people call it different things. There's atheists who believe in it, right? They call it the universe. They call it the quantum, whatever it is. There are people, you know, and once you open that door, you're bulletproof and nothing can stop you. And you can tap into amazing power. But if you're hopped up on weed killer and your bread and sugar and all this stuff, and by the way, do I eat that stuff? Yes. I just don't unconsciously eat it all the time. I'm aware of eating it. But we we have a society where people are just numbed up on pharmaceuticals, on chemicals. And so asking them to tap into their subconscious and be relaxed, that you just can't do it. And then you throw on top of that, staring at screens. Yes. <laughs> and so it's a it's a toxic cocktail. Um and the technology uh, you know, people think I'm crazy when I talk about this, the Wi-Fi that's bombarding you, the cell towers, all this, it, all the crap in your body that you're eating acts as like a conductor of this and you just become a, literally a bot. You're no longer human. And then we wonder why we're stressed and we wonder why we're anxious and we wonder why we can't relax and we wonder why we can't tap into our subconscious. It's because we're a walking chemical. Yes. And that's what, to me, Nourishment Mindset, my book, is so, so much about. It's not just the fact that food is information for our cells. And that's why real whole food, non-chemical processed crap is so important because it's literally daily information for our cells. But also just the the mindset of being present, you know, and when we're on a phone and we wake up screen rise and we're, you know, we're just going and what did you say? Thoughts and actions, be positive, um, do actions. It's like a hamster wheel. And there's never time to, you know, my redneck self calls it this. And I know I want to get into some of your techniques for harnessing below deck, but I just simply call it just be. Just take Mm -hmm. time to be. And I'm sure you find this as well, but I find that 
for, for the client population that I work with, that is like the most resisted thing. The food thing kind of makes sense and I'm going to miss fast food and yada, yada. But you want me to just like sit <laughs> for five or 10 minutes and close my eyes? Like, I can't do that. And it's like, well, if you really want to improve your health, I'd rather you just be for 10 minutes than get your nutrition right. So talk to us about some of the techniques that you use to help people get below deck, open the mind to the subconscious and heal. Yeah. It, you know, the first thing, and it, it it is the single greatest, most important thing that probably wasn't grammatically correct uh, that I asked my clients to do. And yet it's the most difficult thing I've ever asked my clients to do. If I ask my clients to get up and go and work out until they can't move their muscles every morning, that would be easier than asking them to do this. The number one most important thing I asked them to do is when you wake up in the morning, as soon as you wake up, don't lay in bed and let, and marinating crap, right? Get up out of bed, pee, right? You, you got to do that, right? Before you talk to your spouse, before you talk to your kids, before you turn on the lights, pee and immediately go sit in silence for five minutes. And you would have thought I was asking people to, uh, I don't know, <laughs> torture, you know, like physical torture because there's so much noise in our lives. And what they probably did was right before they went to bed, they spent an hour looking at a green doom scrolling, getting angry about politics or what someone else said on LinkedIn or whatever. That's at one in the morning. Then they wake up after three or four hours of sleep and they use an alarm clock to wake up. Alarm clocks are dangerous to your health. Why? It's immediate cortisol jolt in the morning. So now your fan is spinning. Your, 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 your body, your being fan is spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And so then asking someone to sit for five minutes you know, even when you hit the switch on the fan, it takes a while for it to slow down. Five minutes is like the minimum. So a lot of times, it'll take me 10 or 15 minutes just to have the fan stop to the place. But what are we doing? Oh, I got to make my coffee. I got to do this. I got to check my email. I'm sitting here. There's nothing going on. I can't do this. I'm sitting here. People need me right now. And the men I work with, and I mostly work with men, but this is women as well. The people I work with, some of them just can't do it. Literally, I've had people just disappear because they will not do it in the morning. Five minutes, just five minutes. We're not even talking about like massive discipline here, just five minutes. It's so painful. But I had one man two months ago and he was doing it for like two weeks. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, 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 whatever. <laughs> and Friday morning, he heard a voice. Hmm. And the voice said, dad, are you proud of me? And he's like, Holy shit. Like what? You know, like, like, oh my gosh. His subconscious was speaking to him. When you go deep and you allow yourself that silence, your subconscious will start to speak to you. Might be a voice, right? Could be um, different signs that your subconscious sends you, your breath. So I urge people when they meditate or or do certain things is, first of all, you should always breathe through your nose. That's a whole nother podcast, nasal breathing. It's good for you, right? But you put your tongue on your palate. And when you're breathing and you try to take a deep breath into your belly, but so it's almost imperceptible, the breath. If you find your breath being labored or blocked in some way or catching, 
That's your subconscious saying there's a belief, there's a thought, or there's a trapped emotion here that's coming at you. And so allowing your breath to lead you like that is very, you almost get a, a, a sense that you're on a, at, you like walk up to a cliff. <gasps> I'm scared. I got to control the breath. And then people are like, well, Wim Hof and all this stuff. And I got to control my breath. That's easy. Let your breath try to control you and it will tell you everything you need to know. And it's scary. So that's an easy way to identify. And you don't even have to identify what it is. But that leads to another another um, uh, method or uh, method that we use with our clients called Ho'oponopono. Yes. Of all the methods I teach, this is the most powerful for me and I find for my clients because it's just four phrases. It's, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, I love you. It's just four phrases. Its roots are in ancient Hawaiian healing. And what they would do in the old tribes or, or villages is if people, they would come together and someone had a problem with another person or someone was sick or someone had an issue, health or otherwise. What we do in current society is, okay, Dixie, you come to me with a problem, I got to fix you. Okay. I, I tell my male clients, you ever try to fix your wife? How'd that work out for you? <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what we have to do. We have to have an intervention with this person. Ho'oponopono is this. If you come to me with an issue or a problem that you're having, it's now partly my responsibility. It's not my fault, but it's my responsibility. And when I say it's my responsibility, it's not my responsibility to say, see, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to fix you. No. We now have an energetic connection. You brought something to me. It's now my responsibility. There's a great book, Zero Limits by Dr. Joe Vitale. I've had him on my podcast several times. He heard about this eccentric doctor in Hawaii who had healed an entire ward at a psychiatric, I think it was the Hawaii State Hospital, of violent, like really challenging patients. And he healed them. Okay, great. Well, whatever. He's a wonder doctor. He healed these patients without ever talking to or meeting a single one of them. Hmm. He looked at their chart and said, I'm looking at their chart and I see this person murdered someone. I see this person did something and I'm looking at this chart. It's now my responsibility. And so what he started doing is the four phrases. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And if you remember earlier, I said there's the conscious and there's the subconscious. The subconscious is the door to the higher conscious. Well, guess what? In the higher conscious, that's where the connection is happening. So if you bring a problem to me, we are now connected, not in the conscious, kind of in the subconscious because it's opening the door to the higher conscious. So by healing myself, you're sick. Instead of saying, oh my gosh, go take two aspirin. What I start doing in my head is, I'm sorry for this cold. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And I'm saying it to myself. I'm saying it to my subconscious. I'm not saying it to you. I'm sorry that Dixie has this sickness. Please forgive her. I'm saying it to myself because we're all connected. Mm -hmm. So it's incredibly powerful. It's powerful to heal yourself because instead of having judgment, instead of saying, how can I fix this? I don't feel well. I'm going to take a drug. I'm going to do all this. If I feel these limiting beliefs. So in the morning, I do an hour of Qigong in the morning. At, I did it this morning at 4.45 a.m. And I'm doing it. And as I'm breathing, I feel my breath catching. And what do I say to myself? I'm sorry for any limiting beliefs that are causing my breath to catch. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. 
I'm saying it to myself. And then I say, I'm sorry for any thoughts that are causing my breath, you know, and I'm saying it in my mind as I breathe in and as I breathe out. And then I say, I'm sorry for any trapped emotions. I do a couple rounds of that as I'm just doing, working through Qigong. All of a sudden my breath is clear. I've cleared the blockages. People have done, I've had people do this with prosperity to clear the blockages of prosperity. We can even go further and, and use a pendulum to find out which beliefs they are. We have a whole chart. It will lead you to these beliefs. But if you're listening, you can just, if you're not feeling right, if you have a cold, if you don't, if you feel sick, if you feel sad, if you feel anxious, all you can do is, all you got to sit there is, I'm sorry for whatever beliefs are causing this anxiety. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. You're completely present and you're forgiving yourself. And, and instead of feeling guilt and shame, it is the most powerful and yet simple healing technique I've ever heard. And I've had people who come to me who are unsure of it first because they're like, well, I'm Catholic. I'm Christian. I don't want to try this voodoo. And I said, well, okay. So Jesus never talked about gratitude, forgiveness, and love. Oh, and they get it. Right. Get away from the, the labels and the team jerseys and it's Ho'oponopono. That's not in the Bible. Love, forgiveness, gratitude. And it's Except forgiving it yourself. It, that's it. So it's powerful. I love it. And it, it the phrases that you were repeating, I'm sorry, et cetera, it, they demand your presence. If you're really, mm-hmm. and we've talked about how people are not present and it's not necessarily possible to be present all the time. You know, uh, one of the times right. where I just laughed at myself is I have this whole morning routine of waking and grounding barefoot and, and there's a little Wim Hof in there. Maybe I need to change that up. Um, some yoga poses, some physical therapy, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember coming in and just being very thankful. I'm like, I'm so glad I do this for myself. And I'm so calm and something. And then my son did something that I had asked him not to do. And I kind of immediately went into beast mom. Mode. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so it does work, y'all, except when you're not doing it. And so it, it, this is more just humility. Like this is a practice and doing it helps you calm down that beast mode. Am I right? I mean, I'm not it, talking about it does. practice, but... We're not going to yeah, be You know, we're we're all um, we're all consciousness having a human experience, right? And part of that human experience is we're not perfect. And so, but what you do find is if you keep these practices on a regular basis, what happens is if you do something that eh, you really didn't want to do, instead of judging yourself, you're aware that you did it. And you're like, oh, I caught myself. And a big part of this is bringing, finding your way back. Yes. So all of a sudden I'll, I'll, uh, you know, some, Hey, we have four kids and I'll, I'll blow up at them. And I'll, I'm like, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. I'm not going to feel bad about it. I did it. I forgive myself. I, for, I, whatever. I'm not perfect. And then I go back and I'll say, Hey guys, I'm sorry for yelling at you. I shouldn't have done it, but here's the deal. Here's why I did it. And then you move on. And it's like, you know, if you're, if you're on a diet, and you eat a piece of cake, and the next day you wake up feeling guilty, and all you think about is that cake you ate, and oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Now all you're thinking about is cake. So you're more likely to eat the cake. So that guilt and that shame is like is just such a negative energy 
that. So just forgive yourself and move on. I will say one thing on the Wim Hof, on Wim Hof. I I I like Wim Hof as an intervention. Hmm. So when we were in December of twenty, I don't even know what year it is. Twenty twenty one, we got something, right? Okay. It was whatever. Hmm. I don't like using the word, and. and I would use Wim Hof every day at four. I'd go out in the sun. It was 40 degrees. I had the chills and a fever. and Or I didn't have the fever, but I'd have chills and I felt it coming on. I would go out in the sun and I would do Wim Hof and I would induce a fever through Wim Hof. Really? And it sucked for about 20 minutes and I'd get under the covers and I would induce the fever and then it was gone because the alternative was the fever was controlling me at midnight. So I'd wake up with the fever and be miserable. I could control it at four by doing Wim Hof. I would induce the fever and then it would be gone for the rest of the night. And to me, that was, that was where as an intervention, sometimes you just got to break through it and push. And it's a, it's hormetic stress, right? Like a sprint, you go for a sprint and you bring it down. Um, On a regular basis, what I found though, I was doing Wim Hof every day. It was actually stressing me out. Because I have, and this is this is this is where everyone is different. I am, gosh, if you look at traditional Chinese medicine, whatever, I am wood element, which means I I'm go go go. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a pioneer. Well, if my wood gets too hot, it catches on fire or it dries out. I get burned out. Mm-hmm. I need water to nourish it, but it's got to be that middle ground. Wim Hof was causing me to catch fire and burn out. And so I just had to learn that. And so now I use it as an intervention to bring me back. If I need to get some energy, if I need to do some things, if I don't feel well, but on a regular basis for me, what I need is just, I need to chill. Yes. I need to find my way back to that balance. And so that's where I put my tongue on my palate. I close my mouth and I just breathe in through lower belly, which they call the Dantian, which is the sea of chi, which where chi gong comes from. It's life energy, life force, um, but I found that for me, that's what I need more than the, because after Wim Hof, I was ready to go tear someone's head. Off. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because for me, it's the like exact opposite effect. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not as, I'm more of a type B with that stuff. I try to do something in that arena every day, but f- for me, it's uh, the only way I can describe it and be honest is it's like a profound high. And of course, I love that, you know, but and it's natural, right? I'm just breath holding. Um, so it makes me super laid back. It's like a bit of a toast. You know, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's it's funny. It's um, I know people who will have um, coffee and be wired. Yes. I know people who oh. have coffee and they'll fall asleep. It's like alcohol. There's people who have alcohol and want to go and they get in fights and end up in jail. There's other people who just have alcohol and fall asleep. I feel like Wim Hof or a lot of these practices are the same way, depending on your type of being you are. And I get the high from it, but it's like, I'm going to go. And that's why if I'm really tired, I'll do Wim Hof. Like my wife and I went to Vegas for my birthday and it's like, you know, oh my gosh, we were up until 1030. So the next day I'm wiped out. (laughs) A-M- I did Wim Hof and I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I have one Wim Hof story though, as a cautionary tale. And I was thinking about this yesterday of the stupidity sometimes, right? So this was in 2020 and I was doing Wim Hof all the time because 
everything that was going on. I was like, okay, I gotta, and, but it was making me, I was combining and they tell you specifically not to do this. I was combining walks with Wim Hof. Okay. So the amazing thing about doing it while you're walking is you talk about a crazy high. Like you, yeah, the problem is I'm doing it and I did it for a while. Um, I'm doing it one at one point and we lived on a, on a, on a, it was like a, a long cul-de-sac. I mean, like a mile long. So I would go to the end. So luckily there's no cars going and I'm walking. I don't remember what happened except I remember the force of the concrete jolting me back like a defibrillator. And I, on the exhale held and what can happen is you become uh, the CO2. It's not just oxygen. The CO gets so low that your body, if you condition yourself to it, forgets the breathing reflex, the panic reflex. So I become so accustomed to it that my body didn't even go into panic mode. And I just passed out while I was walking. But I think I walked for another 10 yards, but really wobbly with my legs going back and forth and then hit the concrete. Luckily, I didn't hit my head. And I knocked my rib cage out, my sternum, my knees. I think I had walked like wobbly knees. My knees were not, were, it was as if I had a massive football injury. I went to the chiropractor and they're like, did you get in a car accident or were you playing NFL football? <laughs> and I said, no. And I told them what, what happened. My knees, they were cracking my knees into place. My sternum, I had a fever because everything was like out. It was crazy. It took a year for my knee. I couldn't, I couldn't like, uh, kneel or like sitting and meditating was painful because I was an idiot. And you get a high from it. There, there was a high, but they specifically tell you sit, lay down while you're doing it. But yeah, you're a bit hyper. I'm learning. <laughs> you're combining the, the walk. I'm glad though, because I thought you were going to say that you did it underwater, and I'm going, no, <laughs> you drowned. No, 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 no. I I did it in a hot tub, which what they also tell you not to do. No. Um, so I don't do that stuff anymore. I've really chilled. Um. I don't run anymore. I hike and I walk. Um, I'll do sprints kind of like once or twice a week. I'll, I'll sprints me. I'll do I like the assault bike, but I'm really chill now. And I don't do that stuff. It, it was, I was almost, I, I be, my type is I become addicted to it. And right. so now I'm just like, do your Qigong, go for a walk, lift weights, and then just chill. Cause wow. I, Great self-health practices, I'm hearing. So were you always into this, what some people would call woo-woo arena and and just self-optimization and health? Or were you ever like a, I don't know, Dorito-eating-beer-chugging frat boy? <laughs> so I grew up, um, I was a fat kid. And I say fat because I, I wasn't big boned. I was fat. And- like it, I remember coming home crying because um, I was at Boy Scout camp and there was a Girl Scout troop there as like it was like adjoining camps and they would come over for a campfire and someone nicknamed me in front of all these girls spanky. And I can't, you know, so it was like that. So 
at some point in seventh or eighth grade, I started running sprints and beating everyone in basketball. And they said, come out for track. Well, I ran track. I won all these medals. Still, though, I was a fat kid, but I was winning these medals. I became obsessed. And I lost, I think, 25 pounds between seventh and eighth grade. And then I ran cross country. I did all these things. I became obsessed with it. I was going to walk on. My my roommate in college, one of my best friends, ran uh, was the captain of the cross country team at Iowa. And so I went to Iowa and I was going to walk on. Now I have no idea if I would have been any good at all, but I had I was training. I mean, I was that summer before college, I was ready to go. But then I got to college and learned, oh my gosh. Uh, I have all you can eat buffet. Maybe I'm not going to go out for the team. And I put on, what was it? 48 pounds in the first semester. Wow. So college was up and down. And I mean, it was to the point where I had a, a friend come from out of town and he came into the dorm room and there was 24 bottles of beer that were already drank before even we weren't even going out yet. Like this was at like seven and he said to my roommate, wow, you guys have already had a party. And my roommate said, I hadn't had one of those beers. Kurt just drank all those beers. So I had 24 beers and then we went out. So that's kind of, okay. I was up and I was down and I was up and I was down and, and yeah, I would eat full pizzas, chase them with things. And then I would work out, but it, it created gut issues. And I there was anxious with my job and all this stuff. So I became like paleo. 20, 2008, I healed some stuff. I was up, I was down. Um, I was running a lot for distance, but finding myself that actually made me less in shape, you know? And so then I started really getting into more uh, sprints and, and some of these things. So that leads to now. And, and, and um, I think now is I just try to not think about it. And I try to be on cruise control with my health and if we go out for a nice dinner, I don't sweat it. I don't, I'm going to eat pasta. When it comes to a shopping though, we, we, we eat organic, we eat whatever. But if I, I had a non-organic English muffin today and I didn't care. You're not you know, going to fret about it the rest of the day. No. And it was great. I tell my wife that was damn good. You know? So we, we, I try to eat biodynamic organic wine, um, but if I don't, we're going out for date night tonight. Whatever. I don't care. You know, I tell people if you're 80% consistent, you're 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 doing better than 99.9% of people. Don't sweat that other 20%. Just yeah. just go about your day and 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 set some broad guidelines. Don't worry about how much you weigh. Don't worry about the macronutrients. That'll just drive you crazy. Just live according to good principles and guidelines, if you have the bowl of ice cream and Oreos, because whatever, okay, wake up and keep going. I, I you know, it, it's just, so I, I try not to be too obsessive where I'm like, I got to do my, there's days where I do, where it's like, I didn't get in my 10,000 steps and I didn't do that. And then I'm like, who cares if I died next week, if I was on my death, like what I care. No. And what I find is in the spring, I went to, uh, I, I hadn't weighed myself in like three years and I weighed myself in the gym and I was, I, I, so last time I weighed myself, I was like 165 and I go in the gym and I was like 147. 
I was like worried. I actually like, oh my gosh, what the heck? And then it, because I, I did, I just wasn't paying attention to it. I didn't care, you know, and I, I had broad guidelines, but I didn't think about them all day, every day. And, and I don't know, that's, that's, that's my thing. That's, that's what works for me. Well, I'm not hearing diet dogma and that's what, that's something I like to, to fight against um, because I feel like that's actually just, you know, a trap. I always say to clients like diet rhymes with riot, you know, that's what it does to your metabolic functioning, riot in the body. So just, it's that mindset thing. So I'm glad to hear another person who like me is into, you know, certain practices, but then sometimes it's okay to, you know, and then you just come back to it. I feel like in Europe, I've spent more time in France than other European countries, but the French really get this, you know, they call it a cadre and you just stay in the cadre. (laughs) The cadre has a lot of liberty. You do not go out of the, you do not drink 24 beers. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. We go to Italy a lot and Italy yeah. is it's it's interesting because we we went in August and um we thought we'd never be able to go again to to be allowed right. into these countries yeah. and so we went to Italy and we went to the so we love southern Italy that's where my family's from and we went down to Puglia and we're at the beach and I'm looking around and it's 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 fascinating because the Italians all smoke they all drink they day drink but they don't they don't like They'll have a glass of wine or an Aperol spritz with lunch, but they don't, they don't have like eight, right? right? No one goes to the gym. <clears throat> I actually looked over. There was a poll that 65 or 70% have never been to a gym. And yet I'm looking around the beach. There's no one who's ripped, but there's no one who's obese. Yeah, It's kind of just this, but they're all tan. They're in the sun all day. They walk. It's just the way of life. Whereas we think we have to be, if you go to the beach here, there's no middle ground. It's either obese or like ripped for most of the people. And there's no kind of like, just, you know, and, and it's, I think a lot of it has to do with that's just the way they live their lives. I think a massive amount has to do with what the hell's in our food here in America, where it's like, I could eat the same stuff that I ate in Italy, but I feel worse. I think it's also... They stop on the way home at a market and get what they need for dinner and make it. Whereas we go to Costco and get 72 pork chops. And we do that. You know, we do that in our family. Um, It's just a different way of life. And um, the way things are priced here, the way, you know, whatever. There's different. If you tried to do that every day and go to the market, it would be four times as much money. So, you know, it's, it's, um, there's a lot to be learned from it. I mean, there's a lot we don't want to, we don't want to do that they do in Europe either, but it, it like, they don't think about it. They don't think they don't have 18 bowls of pasta. They have a little bowl of pasta as a side and then they eat fresh fish and meat. Right. It's cultural, and program, so, you know, and we just have, in my opinion, for the last 70 years, just out of whack, cultural programming around food. (laughs) I, you asked if I used to be this way. So to give everyone a a taste of, of where I'm at now versus where I was, my agency, 
I was a PR flack and lobbyist for big pharma and big food. So everyone who tries to lecture me on conspiracy theories about that and the politics of it, I'm like, bless your heart. As you know, being a Southerner, you know what that means. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I was there. I I, I actually, re- every once in a while, I will look up op-eds that I go through for my bosses. And I will spend the rest of my life making up for the fact that I wrote an op-ed ripping on moms who chose to be more aware of the types of things they put via syringe into their kids' arms. And I was I was there writing this stuff. And I saw what happened. I saw it. And um, so, yeah, it wasn't just the Dorito eating and the 24 beers. It was also the, the programming. I was, a, I was a programmer. And uh, it's n- not anymore. <laughs> what a great. Thank you for being so bold as to, you know, show the true Kurt and all of his journey and, and learning. And I think, you know, it's like I remember my mother saying, are you sure you want to write about all the things you did with your eating disorder? You know, she's like, why don't you take out the part where you stole my car at 15 and then drove to the store and stole laxatives? I'm like, no, because that's the jail of an eating disorder. It drove me not only to become profoundly unhealthful, but a criminal on multiple counts, <laughs> um, which is not funny um, yeah. at all. But it just, it's these examples show that like, no matter where you are now, if you don't like something about yourself or the way you're living your life, you you can change that. That's, you know, maybe we can't make everything perfect, but we don't have to be on this path to, you know, cause my path was going to be death. Right. Um, yeah. I appreciate your sharing that. The man, yeah, and a lot of it, a lot man. of this. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. You know, it all goes back to beliefs. I, I can eat bread and pasta today. What I learned was through uh, a number of belief clearing practices that I don't even do. I was working with someone else who does something called body code and emotion code. I found out that I had actually created my food intolerances in my mind Mm. through beliefs. Why? Because it was easier for me to say I have an intolerance to these certain things than it was for me to be disciplined in not, and I don't want to say not eating them, than finding balance. Balance scared me because I was either going to eat, have 24 beers or not. I was either going to have 17 donuts or zero. And so I created these food intolerances as a, which manifested as real. If I ate a piece of bread, I was at urgent care wanting to die. Those were all beliefs manifesting as physical problems. And I often, I often ask people, I like, I I don't, what I'm going to say, people will hate me for saying, and they'll say, you don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Yes. Why do alcoholics have to completely give up alcohol for the rest of their lives? Can't even have a drop, but sex addicts don't have to give up sex. It has to do with the energy we attach to certain things. Cause I know alcoholics. And by the way, I cut in my family, a lot of this. So I know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about this. Drug addicts, heroin addicts, alcoholics. I know some who spend the rest of their lives, I feel like they're in an internal, eternal battle. And, and God bless them because they're not drinking anymore and they've they've turned their lives around. But now they identify. You you can't 
you can't have one conversation with them without them saying, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. So now they identify as an alcoholic. So now it's who they are. And it's just, gosh, it's got to be an internal fight every single day instead of letting go of that energy. And I know people have changed their lives through 12-step programs and all that, but addictions are addictions, whether it's food, whether it's eating disorders, whether it's whatever it is. And if it, I think it all comes down to energy. And I think that there is a better way to clear certain energies. Um, everyone's different. I know people will disagree with that. But I think, you know, I've had that experience. I know other people have had that experience. And until you clear that energy, you're still going to have that battle on a daily basis with yourself, with those beliefs that you have below deck. And um, a lot of people don't want to go below deck because it's it's painful (laughs) or it can be painful, depending. So, well, that is certainly full circle, Kurt. I like (laughs) to have guests leave us with a simple, it doesn't have to be easy, but just something simple. If I wanted to do something Kurt approved today to better my health, that could be mental, physical, anything. I think you've already said it, but I don't want to put you in that box. So what would that takeaway tip be? Let go. Let go, whether it's the breathing we talked about, whether it's Ho'oponopono, whether it's, hey, I just had a piece of cake and oh my gosh, I feel so mad at myself. I yelled at my kid. Just let it go. Every millisecond is a new starting line. And so if you feel guilty about what you did five minutes ago, you're never going to leave that space. So just let go. You know, don't use that as a, by the way, a get out of jail free card to go do bad things. But let go once you do something and just say, okay, I learned from that. I'm not going to do that again, but let go. Man, I love it. That's even easier than sitting still for five minutes. Right. Yes. Yes. After you pee, right? (laughs) Okay. Well, how can people find you and and learn more or find your book, all that good stuff? Where are you? Yeah. If you go to um, my main uh, social network is on LinkedIn. If you search up Kurt Merca Dante. Uh, it's a long one, but also if you go to um, if you go to uh, kurtmercadante.com, that's my website. Uh, it's Kurt with a C. Um, go there, and there's a variety of ways. It's changing a bit. Uh, I'm changing some of my focus and how I work and some of the things I do, but you can find it all there. Awesome, and I will put that in the show notes, of course. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much for being on the Nourishment Mindset. I really appreciate your time. It was really fun. (laughs) Yeah, Dixie, thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Awesome.